Hey, we're in this series, Dare to Dream. And the keystone verse of this, of this message series comes from the book of Proverbs, the 29th chapter. And here's what the author of this particular chapter says. He says it like this. If people can't see, uh, say that with me, all, all locations. If people can't see, oh good, what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But if they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. God is a God that desires to not have his arms crossed on the other side of the walls of heaven waiting for you to mess up. He wants to be engaged in our lives. He wants to reveal, and he would invite you to attend to what he reveals. But the truth is, many times people, Christians, churches, we can do a lot of all kinds of stuff and stay busy. We are busier than we've ever been before in our lives but if we're just doing a bunch of stuff, we stumble. But if we attend to what he reveals, we're blessed. And those, this series has been uh, unlocking different layers of what dreams look like. Not just your dream and my dreams, but what God's dreams look like according to his word and how they become realized in our lives. So week one was dare to dream. To, to dream big enough to where it, it's, it would be impossible on your own strength. That's the kind of dreams that God gives you. It's always going to be beyond your capacity, past your resources. It's going to scare you to death. Because if it's, if, it's sin, like, if it's a dream that's like, yeah, I got this, then you're the one that gets the credit when it gets accomplished. But if it's a dream that's so big that only God can do it, when it gets accomplished, you're like, whoa, look what God did. And that's how God gets glory. So we started with daring to dream again. We talked about how to find his dream for our life. If you're looking and searching and, and how to really begin to, what does the Bible say about the different activities we can take to begin to find his dream? Last Sunday, we talked about what if you're in between dreams where maybe something was accomplished or you don't even really know, you're still searching, you're finding do you just wait and not do anything? Do you kind of just sit like a, a bump on a log until, until you finally hear what God has for you to do? You know, it's your 17th year in college. I'm just waiting on God. No, like you, what do you do in between dreams? Your mom and dad said, move out and get a job. That's what they said. But today, beyond daring to dream and, and being in between dreams, what, what I want to do is I want to I wanna lean into the reality that, that that almost all of us have and all of us will at some point or another experience broken dreams. Where life didn't happen the way you thought it should or you thought it would. You know, it's crazy all the time put into developing the wedding day. And the wedding day is going to be perfect. And then six months into the marriage, you're saying, whoa, it, I thought it was going to be different. I thought, I thought that when I got this degree, this, this door would open and this door would open and this door would open. And I, I thought when I, when I started doing this or when I stopped doing this or when I'd finally move here, maybe some of you there are from, you know, your, your students at SFA and you've moved into a whole new place and you're, you're getting a new uh, circle of influence and, and it feels like you've left so much behind and what am I going to do and how, who am I going to connect with? And we get to these places in our lives and and the truth is and in fact if you're taking notes there's notes on the back of your worship guide write this down sometimes our dreams take detours not just your dreams but even God's dreams sometimes God's dreams are on delay sometimes God had a plan for you to step into something but but now there's you feel like you're walking in circles King David was anointed as a teenage boy 
to be the next king of Israel. And it was almost 15 years later that finally that took place. Abram was given a promise by God that he would have descendants that would outnumber the stars in the heaven. And yet it was 25 years before his wife gave birth. And his wife was 90 when she gave birth to their first son. They were like, this is a broken dream. You're 90. We, we ain't, I'm not supposed to be having kids. And, it, and what's, that, story is so, that story is so personal for us at Timber Creek because uh, we're 92 years old. And we were 88 years old. I became the pastor. I've been here for 14 years, but five years ago I became the lead pastor. And I felt like the Lord deposited that story in my, in my heart that when we turned 90, we were going to become pregnant with a promise from God. That we were going preg- we to be the oldest we've ever been, but we were going to be the youngest and the most reproducing we've ever been and we thought it was going to be nine months pregnant like I said it wasn't and now here we are a few years later at 92 we've given birth but but that's important and sometimes our dreams take detours what happens what do we do when that when when that takes place is there any cues that we can get from life well sure culture is lining up to tell you how to deal with your dreams and what to do and if you'll buy this product or if you'll be this way or if you'll just accept this or if you'll just lean into that culture's got plenty of answers for your broken dreams tons of self-help books but what what are the are there any biblical cues on how we how we're able to survive a broken dream and begin to dream again I want to invite you that you, if you have your Bible, go to 2 Kings chapter 7. If you don't, you can follow right along on our screens. But let me set up this story. It happened in the Old Testament. That's before Jesus is, is born and, and on the earth, uh, completely human, completely divine. And there is the nation of Israel, and there's a particular city in the nation of Israel called Samaria. Samaria is a massive, heavily fortified city, and they are under attack. They're under siege. And the Arameans, the, Syrian, the, the Aramean army that is part of Syria, part of the Syrians, they, they are attacking Samaria, but it's not like what you'd see in some kind of gladiator, braveheart, game of whatever thing. It, it, it's, it's not like, you know, the, the sky grows dark with a cloud of arrows into the city streets. There are no, there are no catapults flinging fiery boulders through the walls. It's... It's just as severe, but it's much more subtle. The Syrians are starving Samaria to death. They're starving them to death. They've cut off all of the food supply. There's no food in. There's nobody that can come out. They've got Samaria surrounded. So when you're surrounded and you have no supply chain coming in, you've got nobody bringing in the produce, eventually the interior farms inside the walls, they shrivel up and die. The wells go dry, the grocery stores, cupboards go bare, the pantry goes bare, people get hungry, people get crazy. Snickers said it right, you're not you when you're hungry, and these people are not them when they're hungry. The king himself, the king of Samaria, is at wit's end. He's usually having to deal with property disputes, and he's trying to figure out, you know, what are we going to do here for this festival, and how many hundreds of trumpets should we have blowing, and you know, he's doing his own thing. But now, because of the crazy, horrific reality that is in Samaria, he's having to deal with crazy stuff. Moms, the Bible says, moms are cannibalizing their own children to stay alive. And the king of Samaria is ticked off at the man of God, Elisha. 
Elisha has spoken to the king many times, spoken promises, been the, the, the vehicle or a conduit for miracles that have taken place for that king and for that city. And now when the miracle isn't happening, isn't it, isn't it crazy how people can be all about God when things are great, but when things kind of go south, it's like they abandon God so quickly? That's what happened with this king. Things had gone south. A couple chapters earlier, the king of Samaria was saying, boy, Elisha, man of God, prophet of God, you're amazing. You're like a father to me. You're like, you're like, my, you're like my dad. You're like, you're like my dad, man. You don't even know. You don't even know. And now, now the king of Samaria is tweeting Elisha saying, May the Lord deal with me ever so severely. If you are not dead by tomorrow, I hope to see your head rolling down the front steps of my palace before tonight when I take my rosebud milk bath. So Elisha gets the tweet, and he goes and meets with the king. And he comes up to the king, and he says, Yo, my king, chilleth thyself. Chilleth. And here's what, here's what Elisha says. By the end of the day, the famine's going to be broken. By the end of the day, the famine is over. And the king and his messenger, who was the, 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 tweet, the tweeter, they wanted to believe it, but because they couldn't see it, it was hard to believe. Because they themselves were in the middle of a broken dream. And it's at the front gate of this city where this story unfolds. It's one of my most favorite stories in the Bible. I've been preaching here for 14 years, and, and I've preached this, this story before. One of my absolute favorites. So let's lean in and, and, and let's look at the city gate. Let's take a drone coverage shot here of, of what happens next in this story. Meanwhile, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of that city gate. And they said to each other, why stay here until we die? What are we doing? If we say, we'll go into the city. Well, the famine is there and, you know, we're going to die. If we stay here, we're lepers. We got no food. We're going to die. So let's go to the enemy's camp. Let's go to the camp of the Aramaeans and surrender. I love this next scripture. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. <laughs> Thank you, Captain Obvious, <laughs> you know. Usually when you get killed, yes, that's what happens. You, you die. So at dusk, they got up and they went to the camp of the Aramaeans. And when they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. It was deserted. Because the Lord had caused the Aramaeans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. God was on the move. So they said to one another, the enemy said to one another, look, the king of Israel's hired, like he's, he's hired mercenaries, Hittites and Egyptian kings to attack us. And, and so, so they got up and they fled in the dusk and they abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys and their Xboxes. And they left the camp as it was. And they ran for their lives. So the men who had leprosy, they end up reaching the edge of the camp and they entered one of the tents, and they ate, and they drank. And then they took silver and gold and clothes, and they went off and, and hid them. Well, then they returned and entered another tent, and they took some things from it and hid them also. I love that. Like, took some things. They don't even, do you know what this is? I don't know. Sell it on eBay. Go hide it. 
They just took stuff. But then they said to each other, guys, fellas, what we're doing isn't right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. So if we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once. Would you say that with me? Let's go at once. One more time, all locations. Let's go at once. Feel that urgency. And report this to the royal palace. They were at their wit's end. They, they were sick and tired of being sick and tired. What can we learn from these four guys that take this journey in this old story? Well, let's, let's, let's pray. Father, speak to us so clearly. Open our eyes. God, I know that there are some in this room that are grieving right now. They're grieving a broken dream. They're struggling with a, a dream that hasn't been realized. They're struggling with a relationship that should have looked different. That they're, they're, they're in between two decisions and they don't know which way to go and they're trying to get uh, clarity from you and it, it just feels like they're spiritually starving. God, no matter where we are, you speak to us each individually and I pray that you would speak to us through this one story, but speak individually to each one of us. That we all would hear from you and do what you say today. In Jesus' name, amen. So there, there, were, there were open sores all over their body. Le leprosy was a, was a blood disease that was highly contagious. It would work itself from the inside out. It would begin to start with bruises and bumps that would become incredibly tender. And then those, those blue and black and brown bruises would begin to crust and become spongy and would, would, would leak fluid. And just, just, just a bare, a bare touch, just a slight touch could, could hurt. And it was unbelievably contagious. There were laws against lepers. You could not stay in the city. It's why they're at the gate. They're not hanging out playing jacks up against the city gate wall. They have been reprimanded. They have been isolated. They are in quarantine. I mean, it's bad there, but how much worse is it for these lepers? They are eking out their existence. At some point, we don't know what brought them together other than their similar brokenness, their similar disease. Can I say something to you that like, our church, we say it around here, it's okay not to be okay. And I think that that's one of the most common denominators that brings us together. We're, we're, we are not a church that's perfect. Look hard enough, you're going to find some crazy people and they attend this church. And, and, and welcome some of you new ones right there in Knack. Um, we, we have people that don't got all their spiritual ducks in a row. We say it, it's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. But these guys aren't okay. And, and, and here they are, and they, your, your situation might not be so horrifically detailed like these four men, but, but your story is your story. And I want you to write it down in your notes. Everyone, everyone has the capacity to unintentionally drift into indifference. And that's what these guys have done. They, they've just kind of accepted it is what it is. It's going to be what it's going to be. 
and, and they're hoping that maybe alms for the poor when somebody walks by them, but they're not going to get anything. Everybody else is starving. Moms are cannibalizing their own children. Nobody's thinking about, I wonder what we should do for the lepers. They're wondering maybe if somebody's walking with a final basket of groceries, maybe an apple will fall out of the, the grocery sack and we can scoop it up before someone else does. They've just drifted into indifference. And can I just say something to all of us today? All of us have the capacity to do that. The Bible says we're like sheep. And you know what sheep do? They go astray. They just go like, <laughs> and it's doing their own thing. Oh, I think I'll try this. I'll think I'll do that. I think I'll date that person. I'll think. But they're just so kind. Yeah, I, I know. I, I, I know they, they, they hit me a couple times, but his eyes are just so blue. <sighs> like, we go astray. We go astray. Um, New Year's, New Year's resolutions. Anybody ever done a New Year's resolution, right? Uh, I, I, we, we've tried. I've tried to do some. Get, get some. We start strong, baby. Start strong. Going to get that membership at Planet Fitness. Yeah, non-judgmental zone. We're going to get that Planet Fitness membership. I'm, I'm going to go lose that weight. I'm going to save. I'm going to save some money. I'm going to get that job. I'm, I'm going I'm to save a bunch of money. You know, I'm going to go you know, get online, go to the general and save some time. And then you find out you don't save anything, and then you call Geico, and 15 minutes later, you still haven't saved anything. And, and by Super Bowl Sunday, four times at Planet Fitness, the goal that you had reading through the Bible or going to make this happen, it's not that we're intentional about it. It's just we're like sheep, and we go astray, and we, we drift unintentionally. Um, and, you know, for, for people that are in, in the church that would call themselves Christ followers, you know, it's one thing to say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. That, that means a whole lot of different things in today's day and age. Well, here's what a Christ follower is, someone who follows the convictions, the character, and the conduct of Christ. That, that's what a Christ follower is. A Christ follower uses the word of God as the moral compass and the final authority for the decisions that they make in life. And as Christ followers, uh, many times... Um, we, we, we drift unintentionally, individually, corporately as churches. We can start with like, you know, we, we, can, we can go from compassion where we care about people. We want to do the right thing. And all of us have this, this capacity to kind of drift into criticism. Criticism is like a national pastime these days. Baseball, apple pie. Criticism. It's like people being critical, like yelling at the top of their thumbs on Facebook at each other. Just criticism, 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 it's snaky. It's just snaky, it's sneaky. People can become so critical these days, especially in the church. Churches are critical of churches, Christians are critical of Christians. Like, guys, let's not be that. Let's not be that. But many people don't do it on purpose. They unintentionally drift to criticism. You know what else? We, 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 we go from risking it big, going to dare to dream, going to do something, trust God, going to faithfully give, going to serve, going to give my time and my talent. I, I'm going to do, and, and, and though we, maybe we get hurt or maybe, maybe we get tired or maybe we get burned out and we, and we go from risking it big, I'm going to dream that dream, I'm going to go get that degree, but then the door didn't open up and we go from risking it big to playing it safe. And all of a sudden we, we, we're hedging our bets and 
were a little slower to try and do something because you got burned. Because it didn't work out the, the, the first time. I mean, I mean, failure is a wonderful teacher. It, it shouldn't be the end. I mean, we... we, we we, we, we've got to be able to figure out God's dream over time, and, and we're going to fail. We're going to fall short. We all fall short of the glory of God. And we go from risking it big to, to playing it safe. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's not like, it, it, it's not like we, we do it intentionally. Uh, it's not like we're lazy when we're playing it safe. I, listen, we're some of the busiest people in the world these days, but can I say something to you? Listen to me. Busyness is not the antidote for indifference. Well, if I just stay busy, maybe something will happen. No, clarity is the antidote. We're going to talk about the antidote for drifting in just a moment. We go from self-reflection. I want to grow in this area. Hey, anything I need to work on, you're willing to, to grow. You're moldable. You're, you're flexible. You guys have heard that scripture, 3 Corinthians 3, blessed are the flexible because they will not be bent out of shape. 3 Corinthians isn't really a Bible book, just FYI, it was a joke. Blessed are the flexible, but, but, but we go from self-reflection to self-righteous, and from a heart that says, I want to grow, tell me what I need to know, to I know all I need to know, and we can have such a self-righteous attitude in the local church. Oh, dear God, we're supposed to be salt and light, not, 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 not like, you know, Self-righteous, critical, playing it safe. Us three, let it be. Us four, no more. Us five, at least we're still alive. But here's, here's, here's the worst one, I think. Many times we can go from a personal Jesus where when, even when we're young, we might sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. What a personal statement. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And sometimes when dreams don't go the way we anticipated, when, when people fail us, we think Jesus fails us. And, and we may not say it out loud that we turn a cold shoulder to Jesus, but we unintentionally drift. And we drift from a personal Jesus to just kind of philosophy. Yeah, do unto others. Yeah, be, be kind. Hey, your truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Uh, can't we all just get along? Let's just kind of, and I, and I want to say something to you, and you need to lean in. You need to hear this. A philosophy doesn't save anybody. A philosophy won't put a hand on your shoulder and say, I'm praying for you. A philosophy won't carry a burden with you. But a person will. And as the church, we're called to be the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus to make Jesus personal. But not just that. Jesus makes it personal by, by, by giving us his spirit inside us when we invite him to be the center of our lives. He wants a personal relationship. He is not some vague electrical force field floating out in the cosmos. He is a person who loves you, who knows how to grieve over you, who knows how to challenge you, who knows how to convict you, who knows how to discipline you and who knows how to guide you. And we can drift from that to just more philosophy and philosophical ideologies. And so if we found ourselves at drift, if we found ourselves dealing with the boulevard of broken dreams, how do we, how do we exit that boulevard? How, how do we get back on track? It, it, is there some cues from the story we just read? I think there are a few thoughts. And, and so... Take some notes and let's write these down for the rest of the time we have together. The first thing we've got to do if we're going to exit 
the boulevard of broken dreams and reclaim what God is wanting to stir up or rebirth in our lives. The first one is you got to re-engage a sense of urgency. There those lepers are at the city gate, four of them. One guy's just sitting there drawing in the sand. Another guy's just laying down in a fetal position taking a nap. The third one, he's, he's just kind of... He's just, I don't even know where he is. He's daydreaming. He's looking right at the wall of the gate. You know, he just, he's dreaming about fast food. You know, he's dreaming about McDonald's. <laughs> da, 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 da. I'm loving it. <laughs> but there's a fourth guy. And the fourth guy's pacing and he's, and he's thinking and he's, he, he's, he's kind of, you can see he's kind of, He's kind of stirred up. He's kind of gut checked. He's kind of sick and tired of being sick and tired. And he says, he says, guys, come here. And the guy wakes up from a nap. Keith stops drawing in the sand. Bob gets up and Sam over here stops looking at the wall. And they all look over here at the ringleader, Bobby. And Bobby says, we got no food. We got no jobs. Our skin is falling off. You, leprosy, they're just losing stuff. Just losing stuff. And he says, I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired. I got an idea. Now hear me out. Don't kill the messenger. They're like, we don't even have enough strength to even hardly look at you. We're not going to kill you. What? And he says, I got an idea. It's so crazy it just might work. Let's go out to the enemy. And they said, say what? I'm serious. Let's go out to the Arameans. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, we die. Okay. What do you say? So they, they, they take the stick that, that Keith had and they write out a pros and cons, kind of an action step program. And they figure it out and they get into consensus. And they say, are we all ready to do it? And all four of them are like, hands in, boys. Let's make it happen. It's like, yeah. 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 One of their fingers falls off. It's like, oh, whoops. Sorry, leper jokes, that's terrible. You, you, you heard about the leper hockey game. There was, there was a face-off in the corner. Oh, no, that's, that's terrible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No more jokes. No more jokes. I'm sorry. What, what in the world was I talking about? So they say, we're all in. Let's go. Why stay here till we die? We can't stay static. So they re-engage a sense of urgency. Friends, you're meant, you're meant for more. I promise you, you have not reached all of your God-given potential. There is in every single one of us the opportunity to know Jesus personally. To find freedom from stuff that's still holding you back. To discover his purpose in your life. Even when you feel like everything is turned to dust in your hands. Can I just say something to you? You know what's great about dust in your hands? When you go to the very first book of the Bible. Do you know what God makes humans out of? Dust. So even when you feel like everything is turned to dust. God says all I got to do is breathe on it. And I can bring something new to life. But you... Got to re-engage a sense of urgency and say, I don't want to stay here anymore. And so they do the next step, number two. They, they take one step of faith. They take one step of faith. 
And sure enough, simultaneously, God is doing a miracle in this moment. God had already spoken to Elisha that the famine was going to be over by the end of the day. But the lepers didn't know that. And the Aramean army didn't know that. The king sure didn't know that. Know that. The people in the city didn't know, that, know it. But God was on the move. Can I just say, when you don't see him, it don't mean God's not on the move. When you don't hear him, it doesn't mean God's not still speaking. When things look like it's at the end of the road, it doesn't mean that God's not setting some things in place. And why do I have to wait? Because waiting is part of the process of becoming and realizing we weren't ready to launch the Nacogdoches campus three years ago. But, but the waiting process was part of the deal. And you've got to take a step. And sure enough, they start walking up the hill at dusk towards the enemy's camp and simultaneously the enemy is freaking out because God makes those God makes those eight feet and 13 toes God makes I'm sorry God made God made oh it's terrible God makes those all, those eight feet sound like an entire army. It sounds like Israel has hired some mercenaries to come around and flank them from behind. And so they flip out and they leave everything. You hear what I'm hearing, Joe? I'm hearing what you're hearing, Sam. Let's, let's bolt. And they go like Roadrunner. Beep, beep, psh, and they're gone. And they leave the baked beans on the cook's fire. Simultaneously, the lepers are walking up the hill and they're... You smelling what I'm smelling, Keith? I'm smelling what you're smelling, Bobby. Mm, that is smelling good. And they get a little bit closer and a little bit closer. Can I, can I just say to you, none of that happened. God was on the move, but it took them taking a step of faith. Would you write this down? Sometimes God is the one waiting on us to move. He, he's waiting on you to regain urgency. He's, wait, he's waiting on you to say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. He's waiting on you to get a little desperate. Maybe there's some things you've been waiting on God just to put in your pocket. And he's like, look, I gave you two feet in a heartbeat. You need to like, you know, go get a job. Like there are some things where God's waiting on you to move. Well, we don't want to get ahead of God, Jeremy. Bless the Lord, Pastor. We don't want to ever get ahead of God. Like God is some 58-year-old out-of-shape jogger in some velvet track suit that's got an inhaler. He's like, Jeremy, wait up. You can't get ahead of God. You can't get ahead of an omnipresent, omniscient God. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I mean, you can, like, have a sense of urgency, and you can take a leap of faith, and you can run right into a brick wall, okay? I mean, you can do that. That's why we have to attend to what he reveals. You don't just do whatever. You, you, you wait on God, and then you attend to what he reveals. And he actually helps us run through a troop. He helps us leap over walls. That's how God works, and sure enough, the closer they get to the camp, they start saying, hey, yeah, we come in peace. It's just us lepers. Please don't shoot us. Please don't kill us. Just us lepers. And they get about 30 feet, and then 20 feet, and 10 feet. They get close to one of the tents. And they get It's just, we, 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 can't, we, we don't want to do any. We're just wondering if maybe you have some scraps. Maybe there's... Maybe there's just some, some stuff you feed to the animals. Is there anything that we can have? And they slowly unzip the flap of the first tent. And they open it up. And one, one of the lepers goes, OMG. And they're like, shut up. 
Because what they see inside the tent, all kinds of gold, beautiful clothes, it's the spoils of war, riches, coins, pearls. And they're like, <laughs> and they say, wait, 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 just, let's just keep going, let's keep going. So they go to the next tent and they unzip, please don't kill us. Do not put a javelin through our throats, please. And they open up the tent. And it's the mess hall. It's the cafeteria. It, it's, like, it's like a mix between K-Jewelers and Golden Corral. And like something you'd see out of a cartoon. These lepers looking around. Nobody stopped them this far. Nobody stopped them yet. They dive head first. They are putting pearls around. They're putting rings on whatever fingers they got left. They, they, they are putting, they're putting treasure. They're running out to the back of the rock and they're digging stuff. They got stuff. They're like, what is that? I don't know. It's called a widget. Dig, just bury it. Who cares? We don't even know what it is, but it's ours now, baby. Woo! They are so pumped. Energy like you wouldn't even imagine. They, they, they do that and then they go to the mess hall. And I mean, they are just they, they, these guys are some southern lepers. They're having some sweet tea. And they were going to have chicken, but this was the enemy. And all they had was Popeye's chicken sandwiches. They didn't have God's chicken. So they didn't have Samaria chicken, bless God. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They, they, they are drinking and eating. And, and they look over at Bob, and he's wearing like a queen's coat and a crown. He's like, don't judge me. Eating a turkey leg. And I mean, they eat and they eat and they pick up some treasure and they go bury it some more and they eat and they eat. And listen, even the hungriest of lepers who hadn't seen a meal in days, if not weeks, if not months, even the hungriest stomach of a leper, there comes a point where you can't eat anymore. And there those four lepers are. After a while, let it settle. They got a turkey leg in one hand and pearls in the other. Mashed potatoes in their beard. Gravy in their hair. And they just kind of quietly, slowly, they just kind of stop. One of the guys leans back in his chair. And he says... What we're doing isn't right. This is a day of good news. And we are keeping it to ourselves. You know, that's one of our core values at Timber Creek Church. We say we won't keep this to ourselves. Because church was never meant to be just for church people, everybody. It's actually meant so that people that are lost could be found. People that are broken could be mended. People that are hopeless could be Hopeful. We say it like this, empty seats are a big deal and we're not going to keep it to ourselves. And that's why we've created the Nacogdoches location and the Duncan and the Dieball unit and Lufkin and Iglesia Timber Creek over here on the Lufkin location. And we are just getting started. This today, launch Sunday, is not the fulfillment of a dream. It is the birth of a dream and the best is yet to come. Are you with me, everybody? Are you with me? 
And so the lepers, they, they, they say, oh, man, if we wait till daylight, punishment's going to take us. We got to go at once. We got to go tell the, the messenger, and we got to go tell the king. We got to report this to the royal palace. Could they have just stayed static? Yes. Did we really have to launch a, a new campus in Nacogdoches? Would have been a whole lot more financially efficient not to. Would, would have been a whole lot easier not to. Do we have to do that? I guess we don't have to do anything. But I want to be the kind of Christ follower and I want to be a kind of pastor that leads a kind of people that have a sense of urgency and that take some steps of faith and don't just get static and don't just get comfortable and just kind of hoard the good news all to ourselves. But we're always thinking, how do we take this back to someone else who needs to know the hope that I have found? And that's what the lepers did, the outcast of society. And some of you think, I don't have a voice. I have no influence. I'm just a college student, or that happened, or I've got all these regrets in my life. You are a guy that's been in prison for 20 years. What am I going to ever be able to do with your life? Listen to me. God is not done with anybody until the day you stand face to face with him. Then you still have a job to worship him in heaven. We all have responsibility and opportunity. And he doesn't look at somebody and say, I'm not going to use that. That's trash. No, you are his sons and daughters. And he wants to put you in a place where you can use the gifts that God has given you. But you know what it takes? It takes a little courage. It takes a step of faith. You know what it takes? Right at number three. It takes a do what matters most no matter what mentality. You got to do what matters most. Right then, they were feeding their, they were th feeding their bellies. But they had to get beyond, they had to get beyond the meal and they had, to, they had to think about the mission. They had to get beyond themselves and they had to look at what this meant for everybody else. It may take some courage for you to take a step of faith because it means that maybe you have to say no to a crowd that you've been with. Maybe you have to, to start doing some uphill habits. Everything worthwhile is uphill. Maybe, maybe you have to apologize, and, and, and apologizing just doesn't come natural because it didn't come natural with your dad or your mom, and it doesn't come natural to you. But you need to say, like, you know, I'm sorry about something. And you got to get some boldness, and you got to do the right thing no matter what. These lepers could have kept it to themselves, but thousands of years later, in 2019, in the timber country of East Texas, we don't even know their names. But they changed the trajectory of countless families because they were bold, they were audacious, they took a step of faith, and they began to dream again and not keep that dream to themselves. Ralph Waldo Emerson said it like this, God will not have his work made manifest by cowards. We've got to be strong and courageous. And you know where you get your strength? It's not by bottom, you're biting your bottom lip. Jesus is the strength. Jesus is what you need. It's not you picking up the pieces, Humpty Dumpty. All the king's horses and all the king's men, they couldn't put Humpty together again. So the king himself, I like to think, stepped off of his throne and he met Humpty right where he was and he pieced him back. That's what God does with you. Finally, number four, you just do not want to underestimate the exponential power of a resurrected 
dream. They were full in their bellies. And they got to run to a city that, that called them outcast. That said, when, when they would walk through the city, if they were leprous, they would have to cover, they'd have to cover their mouth and say, unclean, unclean. This time they come running. Can you just see it in your eyes? They're just running. I mean, pearls bouncing everywhere. The guy's still in his, you know, queen's jacket. Don't look at me with those judgy eyes, Sam. And they run to the city gate and they slide to a stop. Open the gates. The enemy's gone. God did it. Elisha was right. God was right. Let's go. And the entire city was saved. Can I just tell you? God is a resurrecting God. Our entire faith rests on God's ability to resurrect. Because that's what he did with his own son. And if you'll do it with his son, who he gave for you and me, he'll do it for you too. He will. So I told you my favorite, my favorite, it's one of my favorite stories of scripture and with it comes a story I've shared before and I'll, a lot of new people today so for the first time you'll hear it and some of you just, you know, humor me, thank you, I love you, you love me. Um, when I was in high school, I was a junior in high school at a private school, a little Christian school, 100 people, 150 people, something like that. And, and lunch was 7th to 12th grade altogether. And my mom would pack my lunch every day. And I would bring, I was cool, I was really cool, you know. Bringing my lunch. <laughs> Hello. And uh, it's, cool. it's cool to bring your lunch to school. Bring it. My mom, she loved me and I love her. And, and I have had the unbelievable privilege to grow up in, a, in an atmosphere of a mom and dad that loved Jesus and loved us and um, challenged us, but also were warm with us. Sometimes we can be low on challenging our kids and high on warmth, like we just love them, but we don't challenge them. That's not a good combination. Or you can be low on warmth and high on challenge, and you're challenging them all the time. Do it, do it, do it, do it. But you're never warm with them and loving with them, and that's just as much as a terrible combination. Jesus shows us how to do both. And my parents modeled that. Now, they weren't the healthiest people in the world because it was like, you know, a, a Totino's pizza that we'd warm up in the microwave and some Doritos and, you know, or Gino's pizza rolls. Bless God for some Gino's pizza rolls. But the, the cherry on top, my mom would always pack me a little Debbie. And it wasn't none of that oatmeal cream pie stuff where you only got one in the package. It was zebra cakes. You don't get one zebra cake. Do not clap at that. Do not clap at that. It was, too, it was a double portion of the spirit, bless God. Zebra cakes, hallelujah. <laughs> She'd pack me those zebra cakes, and I just loved just, I'd eat the edges around them. Just, oh, it's so good. Just enjoy that. Junior in high school, like I said, <laughs> lady killer. <laughs> So, I'm, I'm wrapping up, I promise. Um, I had a friend in high school. We'll, we'll, call, him, we'll call him Dante, because that, that is his name. And uh, Dante, 
I saw Dante coming, and it became a pattern of every single day at the Christian Center Academy cafeteria. He would see me get close to the end, and I would pull out my zebra cake slowly, and he could smell the blood in the water like a shark on Shark Week. And Dante would come over to my, wouldn't even sit at my table. He would come over to the table, and he'd slide all the way down the bench. <laughs> what up, J.Y.? What up? I say, what up, Dante? He's like, how you doing? I said, I'm doing good. How you doing? Straight chilling. He said, you know what I'm going to say, J.Y.? I know what you're going to say, Dante. He said, you know I'm going to say it. I know you're going to say it. You want to say it with me? And what he would say every day at the cafeteria, I see those zebra cakes. Don't hide it. Divide it. <laughs> Don't hide it. Divide it. And sure enough, I'd open and I'd give him one. I told my mom about it, and to be honest with you, I was a little frustrated over it. Dante keeps on taking my zebra cake. I don't even like it. I'm a junior in flipping high school, and I'm like, Mom, Dante's taking my zebra cakes. Will you go talk to the principal? And, and, and I just, this was, my mom, I think, instilled this in me. She said, well, you can't keep that to yourself. And she actually opened my eyes a little bit to the fact that Dante wasn't, wasn't just taking my stuff. Dante didn't have a home that had that stuff. I mean, we're talking about zebra cakes. And he didn't have that stuff. So you know what my mom did? Do you know what she did? She started packing me a whole nother pack of zebra cakes, everybody. And when Dante would slide across, J.Y., what you doing? What you doing, Dante? Straight chilling. You know what I'm going to ask, Dante, J.Y.? I know what you're going to ask, Dante. Don't hide it. Divide it. And I'd say, hey, Dante. And he'd be like, oh, snap. <laughs> For God so loved the world, he did not hide it. But the Bible says the Lamb of God was slain. And he, the, the Bible says he's the bread of life. There's enough to go around. And if you're here today and you're hungry or you're broken or you're grieving a dream that has died, Jesus will not hold his comfort to himself that he is ready to meet you where you are. Take a step of faith. Reach out to him. And he will cause the sounds of chariots and horses to surround you and lift you up. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. So all locations, would you close your eyes with me? Bow your heads. Here in Lufkin, Knack, Dyball, Duncan. We're doing business with God. Our campus pastors at all those case locations join me up on the platform. We're up at the front of the room now. Nobody moving around. If you're here and you're under the sound of my voice, and you're saying, Jeremy, I'm, I'm dealing with something broken. 
and I need Jesus to put it back together. Before he ever wants to do anything with your dreams, he wants to do something with your soul. Your soul matters to God. And so if you're here today and maybe you've unintentionally or intentionally drifted, you've gone astray like a sheep. That's what we are, we're sheep. But you're saying today, for the first time or the first time in a long time, I wanna invite Jesus to be the center of my life, to have a boldness to do what he wants me to do no matter what. And if that's you and you're here in Lufkin or right there in all locations, if you need to surrender your heart to Jesus today, be bold and right now put a hand straight up in the air and you say, I need to surrender to Jesus. All locations, right up in the air, right up in the air, right up in the air. Not gonna embarrass you. You can put your hands down. Jesus, Jesus sees you. You didn't even have to raise a hand for Jesus to see your heart. But it is a step of faith. That was a step of faith right there. And now in your own words, let me pray for you and you can just follow along. You can say, dear Jesus, would you save me today? Would you, would you resurrect some things in my life? God, I, I, I may have sin in my life. Sin, sin is what separates me from you and I don't want to be separated from you. I, I want your dreams for my life. I want, I want to do what you've made me to do. Would you breathe into the dust of my life again? God, would you help me be bold again? God, for, for Christians in here, would you help us st stop keeping it to ourselves and start sharing it again? So Jesus, for those of us that need to surrender to you, come into our lives. Change us from the inside out. Help us to take next steps following you. Thank you for not being mad at us, but loving us so much that you would give us this moment to make things right with you. So I give you my heart, I give you my hands, I give you my next steps, no matter what it is. We ask it in the name of Jesus and everybody at every location said a good amen, amen.